Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm Andre DePuisto. I'm the founder of Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. All right, well, we got Dan on the line. And I started thinking, I probably shouldn't have shared those pictures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys, we got Don Higgins on. Um, anything that's got to do with uh, chasing big deer, I've got my hands in it somehow. So. Well, my name's John Eberhardt. The first one that comes to mind was early in my career. I'm Scott Buckley from Iowa. Um, I had jumped him in the summer, too. He jumped up in that swamp grass down in the bottom lake. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm chasing it. There ain't nothing stopping me. Justin Hollinsworth. I'm with Whitetail Addictions and uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. So what are we talking about tonight? We're, uh, we're talking about the one that got away. We talked about a deer that we didn't get it done on for some reason. Um, so uh, go ahead and get into the story of the one that got away. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, coming at you with episode three of the One That Got Away series. We're talking to an absolute legend out of Michigan this week. We got John Ebelhard on. Um, guy is an absolute slayer up there. Um, big on the saddle hunting. He talks about that a lot on podcasts, about his setup, what he got going on. Um, we're talking about the one that he didn't get it done on. This is a great lesson on this. Um, just you know, second guessing yourself and, and not, not getting it done. It's happened to all of us. And if it hasn't, it's going to happen to you eventually. So definitely a good lesson in this one to listen to and uh, grow from. So let's get into the people that make this possible. We'll get in the show. I'm going to start off with Riton this week. Um, we've been hitting you guys with the uh, ride on optics for a few weeks now. And uh, I'm going to talk about something, you know, I'm gonna talk about their price. You know, a lot of optics are super high, you know, super mm-hmm. expensive. Um, and this has a lifetime unlimited warranty, so you expect it to be pretty extensive. But um, one of their slogans is affordability without sacrifice. So Riton Optics was built around the belief that any hardworking man and woman should be able to afford high-quality optics. We have pushed the boundaries and been able to formulate a process by which we can provide high-quality optics that beat the competition on all price levels. 
Rideon is the best value in optics in the industry, and they don't cut corners to give you that value, and it's backed by the lifetime unlimited warranty. So their scopes are pretty reasonable for what they're what they're asking really like a three by nine scope anywhere is it's about the same price or maybe 50 bucks 100 bucks cheaper so you can find out more at rightonoptics.com all right what you got over there brother i got last breath uh we're out hunting we're out hunting and uh hopefully you guys are enjoying this series that's kind of the uh whole idea behind this thing and um you guys can follow along with us on youtube hopefully uh putting out some last breath lives here and um, we might chime in here with a bonus episode along the way. And if you guys catch that, um, you might be able to catch the video version over there on their YouTube. So head over there and give them a, a follow and a subscribe. So you guys can stay up to date with us. All right. You got Exodus. Yeah. Uh, last week, I think we hit the, uh, beginning o- October checklist. Uh, we're going to hit the late October checklist as far as, uh, trail cameras go. This is where we like to put our cameras um, in those travel corridors. Those bucks are going to be getting up moving, um, really marking their territories with them scrapes, and um, maybe showing a little bit more daylight activity, hopefully, for you. Um, we're also going to be really getting into them pinch points, and my favorite, um, on the front door of that doe bedding area. So um, be sure to get out there and move them cameras while you're hunting in that area. And don't forget... The cold weather's coming. The really cold weather's coming. And if you want that camera to be out there doing its thing, you need to get them lithiums in there. Yep. And it's probably the last week for scrape week here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Make sure and check that out on their website. They've probably got some deals going or a giveaway going or something over there on their Instagram. So check that out. Um, I'm going to hit Underwarmer. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, guys. We only got a couple more weeks to come at you with this. Underwarmer, it's designed to warm your core, so it's a, it's basically like a fitted um, vest, basically. So, um, unlike hand warmers that are designed for your feet and your hands, this is focused on your core staying warm. Um, it's extremely light and won't slow you down like an, another bulky layer of winter gear. So, with your core being warm, your hand and your your hands and your feet are automatically gonna be warmer without even trying. So, this could save you costs of using hand warmers potentially i i haven't used it i've only used it a couple of times so i don't know i'm interested to use it this season a little bit more and see if you know if i notice my hands being a little bit warmer but if your core is warm your whole body's going to be warmer it's just inevitable but you can find out more at underwarmer.com black rifle we still got the code active guys uh just straight up whitetail legacy and that can get you 20 percent off um your order so hopefully uh, appreciate you guys using that and um hopefully you can use it and score it yourself also got a code for badlands not to forget that we uh we can supply you with that if you want to hit us up on social media and um i'm telling you guys if you are on the fence definitely go for it and um get into some badlands with their lifetime warranty yep all right guys rip like always we appreciate you um hopefully you're having a badass season hopefully you already got your buck down if not hopefully ebahart can spit you a tip to make you successful so hope you guys enjoy this episode here we go all right guys well we got a very special guest for you tonight how are you doing john john is doing very well how's cody we're doing great appreciate you coming on spending some time with us on this thursday night um really excited to hear your take on this story i've heard i've heard you talk on many podcasts watch you on the exodus um youtube videos you know multiple times 
um, love hearing your tactics and the way you, you, you know, you know what you like to do and that's the way you hunt. And I really like that about you, but just so the listeners can get an introduction of who you are, if for some reason they lived under a rock for the last 15 years and don't know who you are, go ahead and give them a quick introduction. Uh, well, my name's John Eberhardt. I've, um, I just turned 70, so I'm an old man now. <laughs> but I still work out every single day that I'm home, so I stay in shape for climbing trees and hunting. And uh, I bow hunted for 53 years. I've got 50 record book bucks, 31 from Michigan, 19 from out of state. On, I think I've been out of state on 20, 24 hunts and took 19 Pope and Young bucks. And uh, everything I do is public and knock on doors for free permission properties. I've never paid a dime to hunt any place. Uh, no relative's property. I've never owned any property. Um, so I think that's kind of unique. And I, I get offers all the time to go to hunt somebody's managed property or some pay-to-hunt ranch if I say something nice about it on Facebook or something. And, you know, that's something I – it's hard to do because they're guaranteed guilds, but I, I refuse to do that. And I feel like as soon as I kill a buck on a managed property or a pay-to-hunt anything uh, – you know, my credibility is gone because I preach public and knock on doors for free permission properties. And that's what I'm just sticking to for the rest of my life. Yeah. Mad respect for you for doing that. We've, we've hunted public the last three years and got some kills off of it. Definitely a completely different creature out there and uh, definitely a lot harder. And we've been mostly knock on permission for the longest time or either work for permission, but we just signed another lease this year because it's just so challenging to find a place. Um, to yeah, go the excuses come out with us we're like man we homie has two kids i have three and the value of time that you put in the woods um it just i'm not at the point where like like you you know the area you can go in there and get it done the first week of season i'm i'm struggling on the 10th day of january <laughs> <laughs> so i got to take the best opportunity i can but i'm really excited to chit chat with you about the topic that we're going to talk about and that is the one that got away um, like we mentioned, we wanted to have the the best in the world, what we consider the best in the world killers that get it done. And I would say that you're up there, you know, top of the list of hunting pressure deer, hunting public ground and still getting it done and doing it as long as you have. That's how you learn is those mistakes. So I'm really excited to, to listen to what mistakes that you're going to give us tonight. Well, one mistake you just made is assuming that I just automatically get it done the first week of season <laughs> because in Michigan, Michigan is such a difficult state and uh, we have more bow hunters than any other state. Excuse me. I just swallowed the wrong direction. Uh, we have more bow hunters than any other state. And we're also a two buck state. So it's, it's really tough. And last three years in Michigan, hunting off season, I have not even seen a buck I would shoot or had a buck on camera that I would shoot. So, that I mean, three-and-a-half-year-old and older bucks in the areas, type of areas I hunt rarely ever exist. So it's really difficult. And, again, for three years in a row, I haven't even seen one during the entire three seasons that I would shoot. But with that being said, um, the one that, the first one that comes to mind was early in my career, <clears throat> and it would have been in the – I think it was 1977 and um i was hunting on public land and i was in a draw and it, this was a draw that had it had been timbered off 
up on the side of this one ridge to the east and the side of the ridge to the west. And then down in the valley, there was just a little bit of a valley with tall weeds between these two areas of, but the year I'm talking about, those were probably had been cut over for six years. So they were seven, eight foot tall saplings that were just, I mean, just tight, dense saplings. You probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I had had several does and fawns and I think it was one four point come out of the saplings and they came down into the bottom of the draw and they were obviously, they were kind of funneling down through the bottom of the draw because it's the path of least resistance heading out to some, some oaks down in some lower ground. And, uh, and I had, I think nine, nine or 10 does and fawns and that one subordinate buck go by me. And I'm, I'm talking, they were, they went by within 10 yards. So they were all, you know, chip shot shots if I wanted to shoot them. And about an hour, 45 minutes before dark, the biggest buck that I had ever seen in the field, um, he came out, he came out of the saplings and he's, he, he cut the tracks of those does and he's coming right down through there and he gets about 35 yards away from me you know he he's on a route where he's going to come down the exact same route the other deer did at 10 yards but at about 35 yards he stopped and it was a beautiful sunny day it was late october you know kind of getting into pre-rut and um he's he's coming down and he just stopped and he was about 35 yards. Back then, we didn't have rangefinders. We had these little dial rangefinders where you could kind of get a pretty close estimation. We didn't have laser rangefinders. And um, I had him at 35 yards, and I had a 35-yard pin on my bow. And I was pretty efficient at 35 yards back then because I shot in a lot of leagues. And uh, he was standing there broadside, sun just shining on him, no wind. So wind wasn't a factor in me not taking that shot. And I'm like, okay, do I take this shot, which I know I can make, or do I just wait because he's down in the center of this draw. He's on the route where all these does and fawns had went by. So obviously that's where he's going to continue on when he starts moving again. So I chose not to take the shot. And uh, probably 30 seconds went by. He's just standing there and 30 seconds is, is quite a while. And he's just standing there. All of a sudden he just took off and ran up the side of the ridge to the West. And when he did, I saw a flicker of a tail up there in the saplings and the foliage was down by this point in time, but I did not see that doe up there. And so he had winded that doe, um, obviously because it was in the evening and the wind thermals were going downhill. So they were going down into the, into the valley and, uh, and he just took off after her. And that, that was a moment in, in my career where I thought to myself, John, you probably should have taken, that was a good shot, a broadside shot, 35 yards. You shoot at 35 yards every day with the 35 yard pin. You could have made the shot and you opted to wait for what would have been a better shot and from that point on whenever i got a shot opportunity that i felt was in my wheelhouse shooting range i always took it 
because during the rut phases, you can never bank on a deer doing what you think it's going to do. It typically will do, it, not typically, but quite often they will do something else because they cut the scent of a doe that maybe went through an hour or two earlier. And um, there, it was just one of those aha moments. And it was something at the time that it, it hit me hard because it was the biggest buck I ever would have shot. It was the biggest buck I I ever saw in my life up to that point. And uh, that stuck with me pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's a good so, story. Kind of hits hard home with us right now as we've, we were talking uh, this off season about, you know, how many, how many more deer have we, we, we would have shot if we were 10 yards more comfortable, you know, like our comfortable range was probably 40. Like we were really solid at 40. How many more deer could we have shot in perfect situations where they're out feeding or something at 50? And we got to putting the pieces together and we realized that, you know, it was a pretty, there's a pretty good chance the, you know, adding three or four more bucks on our wall by adding 10 yards. Um, so that's something that we're really, we got, we bought, we got new bows this year. And we've really been trying to extend our range. And a lot of people are saying, well, I'm going to extend it to 70 or 80. I'm just trying to extend it 10 yards, you know, because I feel like that's yep. the buffer. We always make a joke. We're really good at seeing them <laughs> at 60, but that 20 yards is really hard for us to close the deal. So we're really trying to get, just be more confident, like in your situation. If you got a good broadside shot where you're comfortable, the deer's calm, you know, and you can make that shot – just having the confidence to, to shoot it, you know, and we kind of had the same thing happen to us last year where it wasn't perfect and we grunted at the deer and we were kind of thinking, you know, maybe he would come closer, but we'd shot that far before and then kind of waiting. And that was probably the biggest deer you've ever seen in the wild, right? Kind of yeah. the same situation. It's just sure. right on the edge of, man, do I, do I want to shoot it? Do I not want to shoot it? And uh, that deer end up, we end up snort wheezing at that deer um, after we'd grunted and he put his head down and he ended up running away kind of just like your buck did. So that's definitely a good, you know, a good lesson. And when you're out there hunting, you getting that opportunity is so challenging. And we were trying to add up last year, how many legit opportunities we had at bucks. And it was two, we had two opportunities at deer that we wanted to shoot for the whole season. So you waiting like you said, 30 seconds for a better shot opportunity, that might be your only possibility that year to get it done. So that was a, definitely a good story to just take the opportunity when it presents itself if you're, if you're feeling good about it. As long as you think it's ethical, as long as you feel very comfortable, you know, your odds are 80 90% that you can make that shot and there's no wind, you're not going to get any wind drift and you got a good, you know, you're, you're comfortable and you've so got a solid shooting position. Um, and it, and you got a pin for it, yeah, ab, ab, absolutely take that shot because in a pressured area, your odds of getting a sec, second opportunity at a mature buck during a season is pretty pretty skinny. Yeah, and that's what we're seeing. One one you get one shot, you know, one <laughs> you get to see him one time, and then um, that's about it. That's about all you get. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say we had talked about shooting last year and going into a hunt um, with you know, given the circumstances like John was talking about, you, do you have wind? You know, are you gonna have wind drift and and such of that thing? So I think every time we go out, we need to establish okay, the conditions are this today. 
you know, a rain could come in or whatever and stuff changes, but you just, I think we need to communicate yeah. about, okay, today I feel good at shooting 45 yards. Yeah. You know, we can, we can get it done at 45 yards or whatever that is. I think having that um, yardage established will help us communicate yeah. better in the tree and, and then know when we're going to shoot. You know, if, if you put it, get per, put in that circumstance of, well, you know, we said we're going to shoot 50 and mm-hmm. the deer is at 50. You already know that you're shooting. You're not trying to decide in that moment. Exactly. Well, should I do it or not? You've already decided. You know, I know I'm, as the hunter, you know, as the camera guy, yeah. vice versa. Yeah. And then everything from there should be. Yeah. Should be kosher, but yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely my, a story that hit home with us right there. Yeah. My, my, uh, hunting level is, you know, typically I try to set all my locations up where I get 12 to 18 yard shots. And, uh, it, I don't think I've shot a deer over 25 yards in 20 years. Um, I take that back. I shot, I, I, I shot at a deer at, at uh, 35 yards in 2001. Um, but other than that, it's been 20, 30 years probably since I shot a deer over, over 25 yards. And, uh, one thing I noticed that you guys said you, when you snort wheezed, uh, you visually could see that deer that you were snort wheezing to. Yeah, we could visually Correct. see them. It's set up pretty good where there is a kind of a like a ten foot drop off, slope off into like a cattail marsh behind us, and uh, mm-hmm. we had grunted at him, stopped him. It, he was alert, looked over there for ten seconds, then he put his head down, took a bite of grass, scratched his ear, and I turned back towards that uh, cattail marsh and snort wheezed, and uh, then he you know ripped his head around there. Would he stand there probably twenty seconds? Yeah, and kind of scoped it out. He, and, he was debating on yeah, it. Yeah, and didn't see anything. It was like, ah, I'm gonna get out of here. And then he trotted maybe fifteen yards and then started walking. So, yeah. But that is the third yeah, big deer that I've snort wheezed at and scared. So I'm done. I'm done doing that. It took three <laughs> times for me to realize that. Okay, these absolute giants do not like me to snort wheeze at them. <laughs> typically, what happens in that scenario is if you've got a deer and you can see it, typically it can see below the ground where you're hunting or you can see the ground where you're hunting so with a snort wheeze that takes two or three seconds there's a time frame involved there as opposed to a short just a grunt maybe um and because that takes two to three four seconds to do a snort wheeze that gives them time to lift their head and then the vocalization continues and if they look if they're looking in your direction and they don't visually see something that's making that noise their mature buck's not going to commit to coming to it so, yeah that's a good point they have I, a, I had a, they have a lot more time to locate that noise you know a grunts pretty yeah i had mar- a scenario kind of similar to that where i um i had two bucks on a morning hunt and they were heading back into a bedding area and I didn't know they were bucks. I could just see their legs moving through the brush. And, um, I took out my rattle bag. I didn't even, I, you know, I didn't know they were bucks or does. I couldn't see them and they were not coming to me. So I just took out my bag and I knew they couldn't see underneath my tree because there was a lot of brush underneath my area because I was in heavy security cover and I did a rattle sequence and then all of a sudden they turned and they started coming toward me and then they came out from underneath some trees and I could see there was an eight and a 10 point and they came to about 40 yards and they started eating acorns underneath this oak tree. And this was like eight thirty in the morning. And uh, then they lost, you know, I'm sitting there waiting and I, then they lost interest because I 
couldn't really make any noise and they lost interest and they started walking back in the direction they were headed originally back toward where they were going to bed in the morning. And so I knew now they're close enough where I can't make a rattle sequence because that takes up several seconds and they would have turned their head and my noise would have kept going and they would have picked me in the tree. You know, they had a knew that sound came from a tree. So I took out my inhale grunt because I carry an inhale and an exhale grunt call. And I took my inhale soft grunt out. I turned away from the deer and I just did a real soft, short grunt call. And they both turned and walked right in at 12 yards and I shot the 10 point. So, you know, it's, it's really important to know what call to make when you've got a deer that can, is possibly can see underneath your tree if you want to try and bring him in. Yeah, that's a really good tip that I've never heard anybody say because every scenario that I have snort wheezed at them and scared them, it's been I grunted at them first, they're kind of interested, and then I snort wheezed at them, and that's when they're like, okay. they're And they're always like, okay, I'm getting out of here. Like, I'm not just – I'm moving fast 20 yards, and then I'm going to be chill. Like, they know something's not right. Um, but yep. that, that might be it. You know, you're giving them that three seconds, two, two and a half seconds – to where they can find the sound and maybe pin you in the tree. Cause I normally like cover, use my hands to cover my mouth a little bit also. So there is probably a little bit of well, movement. They're not, seeing, they're not seeing your mouth make any movement on the call. They can just tell that the noise is coming from up in a tree. If it's, if it's a three to four second noise, as opposed to a half a second. Yeah. Grunt. Yeah. That's definitely a good tech, you know, tip. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I feel like I that's it. probably what's happening. And it's, you know, they're like, there's nothing over there. I've already established that with the grunt, and now there's three seconds of something. And and this, you know, two of them were public land deer, so I was thinking, man, maybe they've been wow. called out a bunch too. So, but when you have, you know, the biggest deer on the uh, on the ground that you pretty sure is the biggest deer out there, you know, <laughs> yeah. and and uh, you got him out there by himself, and it's the scenario laid out. It's really hard to just be like, okay, do I just let this deer walk by at sixty, or do I? throw a snort wheeze at him and you know because if he would have if he i would have snort wheezed him in i've been a genius right yeah yeah if he'd yeah. come crotting oh, over there you, i'd have been like heck yeah, yeah i'll snort wheezing every deer <laughs> you, you gotta try something absolutely i can remember i i had this bucket about 150 yards and he wasn't a monster as a 130 inch eight point on public land and he was with a hot doe and uh and they were walking away from me, and I, I was up like 35 feet in this tree, and this was in kind of a marshy area, and they were out in the marsh walking up towards this big ridge where there was crops, and it was getting kind of late in the evening. And they weren't going to get up there till after dark, but they were going through the heavy stuff moving through the marsh. And uh, I, I tried rattling because there was lots of cover between the buck and the doe and me. You know, So there's no way he could have seen two bucks making any movements from where he was at so i could get away with making that noise and i'm far enough away where he would have to commit to come over and look but he's with a hot doe so he had no interest you know he turned and looked and then i he they went a few yards farther and i did a grunt call and finally i was like i wonder if there's any chance i can bring in this doe so i took out a fun and distress call which is basically for coyote hunting stress call because i've actually called those in out of season you know out of season when they're fawning just playing around 
and they come running in. And, and as soon as I did that fawn and distress call, the dope came right over to the tree, five yards from the tree, and the buck was obviously with her, and I shot it. That was a really weird scenario. It's the only time I've ever done it, but it worked. <laughs> That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. We what was it two, was two years ago? We heard our first actually oh, yeah. doe bleat, like a yearling doe bleat. Um, yeah, and it. I was like, that that sounds just like the old long can back in the day. <laughs> I was like, man, those guys had yeah. that thing nailed. We just didn't know it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know where they got the idea for that can? What's that? Back in the '60s, they made dolls. They made dolls for little girls that, when you tipped them upside down and you flipped them back over, they cried. And it was that it was that can inside of the body of a doll. <laughs> Genius! And it, sounded like, <laughs> and it sounded just like a little dobly. And uh, somebody must have got the idea to use that can and market it into the hunting. And Quaker Someone was, was probably like, uh, hey, uh, I'm going to have to take your baby doll out in the woods today, <laughs> daughter. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been crushing bucks for years. I can't, I can't let this baby doll go. The rat's almost over. Yeah. i got to get it done. i got to get it done. i got to get it done. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, Quaker Boy was the first one to market that, and then Primo's marketed it also, and then uh, that Mike. Or Mark Mike Beatty killed that uh, world record buck in Ohio using that. Yeah, mm-hmm. boy, they sold a gazillion. Oh, I had one of those <laughs> when I first when I first was hunting. I had one of those ripping it every fifteen minutes out there. Meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, they're coming. They're coming for sure. A lot of hot <laughs> does over here. Yeah, a lot of does over here talking. Got some... There's a lot of does over here. <laughs> And they're all black. Yeah, that uh, that uh, that dad was like, "All right, wife, we gotta be- buy this baby doll every Christmas, so I got a crispy one come fall." <laughs> I needed a little wore out, but I needed, you know, by October should be prime to get that long bleat going. <laughs> my my little sister was born in 1957. She had one. Nice. They came out. They came out in the late 50s or early 60s. I don't remember. But anyway, that was just a weird story. Another, uh, my next one was one that was my most disappointing because I actually shot at this one and never even touched it. Um, And this was in 1997. It was a monster. This was on private property. I had free permission to hunt it. And it was right next to an expressway, a major, major expressway, a a major highway, you know, a two-lane on each side north and southbound lanes and uh it was straight up 12 o'clock straight up noon pre-rut i think it was november 1st october 31st or november 1st it was going to be an all-day sit and i was in a transition area between two bedding areas they had a lot of security cover and it kind of pinch pointed down right there so they kind of had to go through this pinch to get from one bedding area to the other because the expressway was on one side and there was a lake on the other and um, it's straight up 12 o'clock, and I knew there was a big buck in this area. I, I could tell by the sign. I, this is before cameras. Um, so I knew there was a big buck, and it's straight up 12 o'clock. Here the sucker comes. I can see him coming up the ridge out of this one bedding area heading south. And I had laid a tarsal. I used a real tarsal that I'd cut off another buck the year before and shrunk, and I froze it in a Ziploc baggie at the time. Now I shrink wrap them. 
and I had drug a tarsal through my shooting lane, which my shooting lane went over to the fence along the expressway. So I drug it from the, that fence to my tree, and I hung it in a tree 12 yards from the tree I was hunting in. And this buck came up. He came over close to the fence, which was probably 35 yards off of the highway. And, again, this is straight up 12 o'clock. There's hundreds of cars going by. And, uh, but there was a little bit of brush between the highway fence and the actual highway, so cars couldn't actually see across the fence. And uh, he cut that he cut that tarsal, and he walked right down that line just like a beagle on a rabbit. And he stuck his nose up on that tarsal gland in the tree that I hung it in a tree. And he was at 12 yards, sunny day, 40 degrees, no wind. I drew my bow, and I already had him hanging on the wall, and I shot right over his back. Never touched him. He was probably 160-inch 10-point. It, it, I, I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> We've been there. I yeah. lost a giant, and you're like, okay, I'm done hunting. The next three days, you're like, all right, I'm done for the year. I'm calling it. I'm looking for a tall cliff. <laughs> <laughs> First, I want to pitch but my you know bow that... over, and then I'm jumping. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the drive that keeps you going back because it's bow hunting, and not everything is a perfect world, and and shit happens, man. And uh, that's what makes you keep going back is you just know it's difficult, especially when you're hunting, you know, pressured public land and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, it's it's just kind of unique. And I, hey, I got a feel for you also because when you said you had three little kids, when I had when my kids were little. I I actually almost quit hunting for five years. There was a five year period in the in the mid to late eighties that I didn't kill squat. I'd shoot some does for the freezer, but I totally gave up hunting for mature bucks because I was taking the kids hunting and stuff and I just couldn't hunt the way I like to hunt because I was hunting with kids. And so I, I feel for you, man. I do feel oh, that, for that you. time's <laughs> coming for us. We've oh, yeah. already talked it's... about that. We're trying to I'm trying to buy some property and we're trying to lock down some bigger leases so when they're ready to go, you know, we can kind of, you know, get them set up and then maybe we can rip a little keep, bit of ourselves, yeah. but it does, it's not looking good. <laughs> I got three boys, so if they're all interested, I'm, I'm not shooting a deer for 10 years probably, <laughs> but you know, if, if one of them's in it, maybe I can, maybe I can make it happen, but you need to um, get the two young ones set up on the suburban piece. Yeah. Get the, yeah. Get <laughs> I got a real nice suburban piece. It's real easy to access. That's the one. It's it's uh, oh okay. It's it's uh, like a private. It's a public, but it's only club <laughs> members. So there's like a hundred hunters out there. But I know they're safe because you can only have like three people per lot. So it's definitely uh, and they can hunt out there till they're eighteen because I own property. So definitely a cool a cool deal. So hopefully I can set them up and be like, all right, Dad's stand is right in here on this tree. <laughs> Here's a map. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go in there and kill a giant. All right, call me. I'm going over here where I know this big one lives. <laughs> well, well, the upside of that is when your when your kids kill their first deer, you'll be more geeked probably than any oh, deer yeah. you've ever shot. Oh yeah. When my wife yeah. killed her first deer, I was jacked. She didn't even know what she had done, and I was super jacked, way more than her. Then her brother came out. I was more jacked than her brother, and everybody. I'm like, look at this thing, man. You know yeah. why? Why's you that? want to know why? Because you probably did the majority of the work for her to kill that deer, 
And it's a lot harder prepping a location and have somebody that's probably an inferior hunter to yourself go in and make that kill because that just means you had to set up everything perfectly for that person to get away with and make that kill. Yeah, I had actually uh, passed that buck twice, the same deer. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, all right, this deer is going to be here. Either her other brother's going to kill it or she's going to kill it, one or the other. Because I'm like, he's right on the edge of something I want to kill, so I'll just let him be. And uh, one day at like 1130 after I'd been out there all day, it came in. And then the day she shot it, I sat all day in the blind. And then she come out after work with mott sticks and a drink, carried the mott sticks into the blind, <laughs> ate them, and then killed that deer. I was like, oh, come on, man. I've been out here grinding. <laughs> uh, threw away all the stereotypes of deer hunting. Yeah, yeah. Has it hunted since? Yeah, no, has it, has it hunted since? She hunted one other time, one year after that. Didn't I? She had the opportunity to kill some does, and she passed. And after that, we had kids, and she's took the reins on that and not hunted since, so... If if yep. I shot a really solid ass buck like that and I had moss sticks on the same hunt, yeah. I don't know how you just stop going. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I that's what I need to do. She she has uh the deer that she killed that the when she killed that deer, she had a lucky pair of socks. And I wore those and I killed my one ninety and then I tried it on the hunt um with me and you in the blind and we've yeah. seen like a 170 right? i'm like these socks man they're pink <laughs> oh they're pink God. browning wow. socks and those socks got some magical voodoo stuff on them <laughs> <laughs> you still got them oh yeah i told my wife i said i cannot break these out until prime conditions because one i don't want to not see a deer and the voodoo's gone and two, you know, if it happens, it's because the socks, not because anything I did. Well, I know when we seen the 170, it was definitely because of socks. Yeah, yeah, we ain't seen <laughs> no nothing. No reason to I see that I wear the deer. socks, boom, one set. I'm like, oh, man, these socks are fire. <laughs> oh, my God. Ain't been a deer out there for two what weeks. What are you in? I never seven. did ask you that. Illinois, we're in uh, West Central Illinois. But, yeah, we, oh, okay. for, who, for like Cody, two. who's your other guy that you got? Oh, there, this is you? my co-host, Tommy. You haven't got the opportunity to talk to him. He just kind of jumped right in. But, yeah, this is my we, he's not really a co-host. He's another yeah, host yeah. of the show. Been <laughs> been with me for the, the beginning first episode. So he's my uh, I gotcha. he's my number guy and my data guy. And uh, he's a the he's a workhorse. And then I'm like the all right, let's do this. <laughs> he's like all right, I can make <laughs> that happen. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about this? I'm yeah. like okay, this is gonna be some work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he makes it happen. We're we're a great team. I push him to to do what i think we need to do and yeah he comes with some good ideas too we're good we're a good team but uh we've been doing this and you know it's it's been awesome to be able to talk to guys like like you and and get to hear these stories that you know and in other chances of us not having a podcast we'd never get to hear these stories and related to stuff that we've done and you know try to take it as some knowledge to you know next year you got one at 35 and he's slightly quarter two if you're like man i can make that shot you take that opportunity you know you never know five seconds from now if that deer like you said there's a doe here comes another hunter coming in to set up mm -hmm. a lot of stuff can happen and boom that deer is gone you know yeah so yep well and that, that's the cool thing when you when you mess up that, that's one thing anytime you mess up or make a mistake that's something you never ever forget there's hunts that i've forgotten kills you know but you never forget when you screw up. And that's something you, because you don't forget it, you try never to make that mistake again. You, you always try to make it a learning experience. 
Yeah, I write down my biggest screw-ups of the year, what I could consider my biggest screw-ups. We actually had a podcast of all of our screw-ups. Mm-hmm, yeah. like, we, we were like, okay, this is every way that we screwed up last year that we think we could have done better, and I wrote it all down, and I'm going to try to remember that. And then if, if I back-to-back you know, screw something up like that, I'm like, okay. It takes me three times. It takes me three <laughs> times of really being like, all right, this is this is like we jumped that buck that buck yeah. on public. We're like, there's probably a buck bedded right there. That's a perfect spot. Boom, jumped him. We're like, oh, my gosh. We, we knew that. <laughs> <laughs> we just said it 20 minutes ago. Yeah. And then, boom, jumped him. You know, and I'm like, wow, okay, perfect. We got to believe in ourselves out here. <laughs> We're walking up there to get, like, a better look at the spot that we think is going to be a good spot for a buck to bed. And we're 25 yards from it. Yeah. And he pops up and went, runs right up this cliff <laughs> yeah and we're like we knew there was one there. i was like <sighs> if we would have just set up 20 yards back real good chance we'd have killed that deer we were like let's get 20 yards closer and really check it out <laughs> <laughs> let's get so close we'll bump it yeah, and then we'll get, know for yeah sure. then we'll know for sure we'll just completely ruin the hunt and then we'll know <laughs> yep yeah yep we were right that's our style <laughs> oh we're doing the bump and dump yeah, that's what yeah, we were, doing. Yeah. <laughs> we're not we're not dumping anything we're good at bumping them but the dumping part we're having trouble we're with. dumping hunts away yeah, so yeah. <laughs> throwing time away in the stand eating starburst that's the only thing we're killing out there <laughs> so, something else i think that's kind of kind of cool that you should tell your audiences from time to time is to write you know anytime you make a kill um you know if it's on a decent buck write a little article about it you know and keep it in your keep it on your computer and uh it's kind of cool to go back and read those old i've done that since the 70s i've got articles on almost every buck i've shot of the last hundred bucks i've shot and and it's kind of cool that you can go back and read them to correct because things tend to over the years you throw more stuff in you know make it sound like it was more difficult than it was or vice versa and uh, when you go back and read it you find out, you know, what the wind direction was, what the circumstances were, what time of year it was, was it morning, evening, you know, midday. Um, you know, I, I always think it's kind of cool to, to write a short article on each and every kill you make. Yeah, that's something that we have talked about. And this year, Cody actually got me a hunting log. So I'm pretty excited to uh, get that out and go in this year. And one thing that kind of has inspired us to keep a log like that is because one reason you mentioned is you forget some kills you know or like the exact conditions and two is like uh so we have five kids between us and um in 40 years when well 40 let's see let's go let's go 60 years (laughs) in 60 years and i'm long gone and my kids reading this hunting log or looking at a mount or something they'll have a little piece of story to share with the grandkids, my yeah. grandkids, you know, and sure. um, it'd be just be cool to hear grandpa's story, even though grandpa's not here anymore. Yeah. So um, that's something that's kind of we're really going to get into here, I, I think, in the next year or two, for sure. Yep. And having a logbook's a little different than writing a, an actual article about it, because in an article, you can usually add more details about how it actually you know, yeah. the foliage down. Yeah. And. And everything you did, your entry route, your exit route, and um, I, I don't know. It just seems like when you write an article, and like when I, I'll I'll write an article after I make a kill within a couple of days, 
And then for every day for the next week, I'll go back and uh, you know I'll think of something else I did, and I'll add it to that. And then once after about a week's done, I've pretty much got it secure, and I'll put it to bed. And and I go re- reference those articles, you know. And I've, I've a lot of the articles I've written for magazines, I've just expanded on them and added a little bit more fluff to them and and put them in magazines. And it's and it's kind of cool. And you never know where you're going to end up. You may be a writer someday. Yeah. Yep. You never know. That's. It's definitely cool. You can definitely put some pieces together. We were, I was thinking about hunts just on the ones that I've been successful. And, um, at sometimes it's, it's close to the same date or you're close to the same scenario. And then you get like a, a curveball that's just like off the wall, a random kill that you get. And you're like, I got to jot this down. Cause if this happens again, you know, people say lightning don't strike twice, but I think when hunting, if you're hunting the same property for a long time, I think lightning can strike three, four, five times in the same spot. If you got you know the same oh I the same one hundred percent agree with that. We always like to say if if there's big bucks in in there, there's a reason they're there. There's a reason they like it. And if nothing altered greatly alters like pressure or you know someone comes in there and wipes out a bunch of young deer or something, there's going to be big deer in there. Mm-hmm. You know yep. There's a reason that they're there at the time that they were there and. More than likely, they're gonna be there again. And that's that's how we're gonna hunt pretty much all this year. Just past data where we seen deer, um, rely less on trail cams, and just kind of go where we're like, well, last year around this time, there's a lot of buck sign over here. We seen a couple good bucks over here. We're gonna go hunt over here. Like that's that's why we're gonna do it. Um, I'm excited because yep. it's gonna be less stressful than trying to crunch all the data and run the numbers and. The wind's doing this. We probably should curve around and come in. Like you're like, oh man, this is. We got nine plans trying to come up with one, and we ain't got nothing. <laughs> That's one thing when you own a property for an extended period of years. Yeah, they, you do find a lot of stuff that happens time after time after time. And when the dominant buck is killed in a specific area, he's there because of the security cover. There's obviously some sort of food, and and there's. You know, it's an area where he can probably breed securely during daylight hours. So there's lots of reasons. A dominant buck is where he's at, and if he gets killed, usually within a year or two, the next dominant buck is taking his place. It's just like fishing. I used to fish in a lot of bass tournaments, and even pike. And when you catch a when you catch a bass, and if you kill it or you catch a big pike in an area, and it's it's weedy and it's got a lot of forage fish, um, you know, if it's a forty plus inch pike and you ended up killing it and eating it a couple weeks later there'll be another one in that area because it is an area that's you know the next dominant pike in the area will take that over because he's probably fought fought the others to keep them out of there and that's his territory once he's gone they'll find out he's gone and somebody else will take it over yeah fish and everything's kind of like that chancy said the same thing yeah. fish and big bucks are a right? lot alike <laughs> yeah I don't know. Yep. I don't know jack about bass fishing. That's no, probably I'm why. I'm, that's why I'm not killing as many deer as I'd like. <laughs> <laughs> I need to start no, no, bass they, fishing. They, 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 <laughs> but but bass fishing is weird. You can go out bass fishing and you can catch your limit of bass. And if you catch a couple under a dock, you know after weighing, you you know weighing maybe a quarter of a mile, a half a mile from where you caught the fish, you dump it in the lake. Three four days later, you catch the same fish under the same dock. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. But anyway, look, we, we're way off topic. <laughs> That's normally how our show goes. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing new here. Yeah, nothing new. <laughs> it's really. normally, normally like a little bit of solid content, mostly jokes and way off topic talk, but it's it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we probably got yeah. time for one more quick, uh, the one that got away. Do you have another buck that you're thinking of? Just a quick story, and then we'll let you go on with your week. Yes, I do. This one actually happened out of state. This one happened in Iowa, and it was probably a 180-incher, which my biggest buck is 180, so you got me if you got a 190. Um, but I was hunting in Iowa, and uh, I was up, up in a tree, and it was in an area, it was in a draw. I take it back, it was in Kansas. <laughs> it was in Kansas, and I, I was in a draw. And a lot of the draws out there have a lot of hemp weed. Um, I don't know if you guys are, you know, marijuana, old junky marijuana. That And those marijuana weeds will grow up, you know, four or five feet tall. And then there was other weeds scattered within it. And so I'm up in this tree, and there's a little dry creek bed probably 30 yards to my north. Um, and I was in a scrape area. So there's a bunch of scrapes all around me, which is really common in Kansas. There's scrapes everywhere. Uh, I got, you know, I'm, and because I'm in a draw up on the side of each one of the hills, it goes up into a big crop field to the east and to the west. And I had this monster buck coming through this hemp to the north of me, and he was kind of circling, and he was coming down, and he was coming towards me. And these words were so weeds were so tall, I could just see his head and his antlers off his head. And all of a sudden, he turned. And he started coming in my direction, and he's probably 50 yards. So I'm in my sling or saddle, and I swing around the tree to position myself and picked up my bow. And without knowing it, there was a doe right there where that creek bed, the creek bed ran east and west, and it was, again, 30 yards to my north. And this buck was 20 yards behind the north of the creek bed. There was a doe that was he was following, which I had not seen because the weeds were too tall. And she was standing on the edge of that creek bed, uh, just standing right on the edge before she would go down into it, come back up, and then come my direction. And so when he stopped and I made, made that movement, she saw me up in the tree because the foliage was down. And, um, and she just flicked her tail, and she didn't run off. But she turned around, went back up into the hemp, and then turned and kind of went kind of north, north uh, west, and he followed her. So, so that was a time I never got a shot, but uh, it was something where, because I wasn't attentive enough to notice he was following a doe, um, you know, she picked me and took him with her. So that wasn't really a miss, but, and I don't really think. If I would have had it to do over, I would have done anything different because I just couldn't see her in the weeds. But it was still a time that I didn't get a kill. Yeah, where I felt like I should have. We've noticed that. It seems like the does on public land are just savages, ninjas. Yeah, they're just picking us off left and right. And we'll have a like a three or four year old buck, and doesn't really seem to to be near as adapt as a doe. We had a doe pick us up like 150 yards one time. It's incredible. Yeah. You're like, oh, there's a doe. And we turn our head, and she's already got us pegged. We're like, "What is going on?" <laughs> You're like, are... "Oh, there's a doe," and she's like, "Oh, there's oh, two guys." Yeah, there, there's two guys up there, out there. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> not good anywhere close to them guys. Those guys are joke. Well, hey, there. let me blow. Yeah, oh, even yeah. though I can't smell them. Yeah, <laughs> can't smell them. I'm gonna blow about 87 times. <laughs> 
there is no doubt if a buck's coming in behind a hot doe, the hot doe's the one you got to fool. No yeah. doubt about yeah. it. She's she's on pins and needles. She's like, this guy behind me is trying to get me. These guys up here is trying to get. Me. I just want some. I just want to eat some acorns, man. Mm-hmm. Give me a second here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we just heard the story about oh, uh, the ditchweed buck. Yeah, the ditchweed buck. Heck <laughs> I <know>. yeah. <laughs> I, know that, I know that when Paul was out in Nebraska, he was like, man, there's weed all over the place out here. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh another, another time, and this one wasn't really a mistake, but uh, I, I did a podcast with those guys that come to your house, um, Exodus. Yeah. Exodus Cameras. Um, and... Um, it was pretty cool, but I, we, we looked at a bunch of pictures in my basement because I keep all my deer heads in a sporting goods store. And one of the, one of the deer in the pictures was actually a set of a 10-point antlers, and I was holding the antlers on top of a, a 3D deer target, one of those Delta, what's that big white-tailed target? Delta, it's made by Delta, I think, from yeah. McKenzie. Anyway, um, so I'm just holding the antlers up there like it's on top of this deer and i had several people after they posted that that uh youtube video um say give me shit about well that wasn't a real deer (laughs) you know those antlers weren't the antlers were real but that wasn't a real deer and i'm like oh my god and it was basically it was a deer that i had shot and and i'm sure you guys know somebody or have done this exact same thing you questionably hit a deer you know, you you think you might have shot too far back and shot it in the liver or the guts, and you leave it overnight, and then the coyotes get it. Oh yeah. And uh, so that's what happens. So I I tagged the deer, and then I cut the antler, cut the head off, and when I brought it back, I just you know cut the antlers off, and just for shits and grins, I held it up over top of that deer target and took a picture, and I had people actually question that. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's always looking for something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if they can ride your ass, they're going to find a way to do it. That's for sure. But. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. we uh, we really enjoyed talking to you tonight, John, and you giving us, you know, an hour of your time tonight. Um, this has been an awesome podcast, and I know our listeners are, uh, are going to enjoy it, so we appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you very much for the offer. I appreciate it.